We are continuing, of course, this morning with our series on Words of Life. Uh, we are, if you could not tell from the songs, Bob did a good job. Of course, there's a lot of songs about love. Some of these words, you're not going to have many songs. Just, oh well. Uh, but love is what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's hard to rank, of course, importance of various words in the Bible. I don't know how you can do a ranking of that. Uh, love has to be in the top three. I, I said three because God is probably first... Yahweh has to be up there too. It's hard to say. But love is very important, obviously. And the verse that was read, we've read already, I think, in this series. We've read these verses in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, have you ever in your entire life used the word propitiation? You have not. I'm just going to say you have not used it outside of a church building in your whole life. But nobody uses that word. To be the replacement for. To be in place of. Right? To take the place of our sin. Uh, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to give, uh, also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's love uh, abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Now, there's a, we're, these, are, there's a lot to unpack. We're going to talk about a lot in these verses. We haven't done this as much. We're going to do this to varying degrees as we go through these sermons about words. We are going to look at some ancient words this morning, uh, both Hebrew and uh, Greek, as we think about this idea of love. And, and a couple of things I want to draw out before we get into the ancient words here. Of course, that famous three words, God is love. What does that mean? We'll talk about that as we go through. And then the second idea, in this the love of God was made manifest, was made known. How do we know what love is? Because of what God has done and how he has acted. And then that last verse, no one has seen God, no one that was alive. Of course, some people saw parts of God in the Old Testament, but nobody's ever seen him fully. If, but then he says, if we love one another, God abides in us. You don't need to see God if you love. That's how we see God in one another, is the love that we have for one another. So the Old Testament. What did the Old Testament writers, this word, uh, the words that they used, ahab, to love or to like used of marriage, relationships, children and parents, non-sexual friendship, love for objects. This is our English word, love, used all, all over the place. Uh, used, uh, I love my, my wife, I love my kids, I love uh, Philly cheesesteak sandwich, right? One of those things is not like the others, and yet we still use the word love for that, right? We have this sort of generic word, that's ahab in the Old Testament. This is the most common word that's used for love, and it's applied in a bunch of different contexts. They used it in the same way that we do. All the different kind of contexts for love. To like or to love or to be really, to feel, have a strong emotional attachment to. This is the word that is used in Deuteronomy 6. This most famous of verses, the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one you shall love. This is Ahab. This is this generic word, love. You shall love the Lord your God. And of course, he, uh, the Lord is what that says. I'm, I'm trying to do better about translating the Lord's name, Yahweh. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. So when we think about love, this generic word, to have some sort of strong emotional attachment to, he clarifies with everything that you are to devote fully yourself to Yahweh. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
That last line is so important, right? That if they're on my heart, and again, we think about heart, they, 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 think, they conceptualize this as we do, the, the, the sort of seat of love, the emotion love, the heart, that these words are going to be on my heart. I'm going to be having them in my emotions all the time, thinking about loving Yahweh with all my might and soul and strength. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love. Here's that generic word again. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. When God really wants to make a point, he ends it with I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. As the reason why you should do this, I am. I exist and I decree it so. You shall love your neighbor. And again, if love is such a generic word, we have to have some qualifier on that. What does that mean? To love my neighbor. Well, here he gives us the qualifier, as yourself. We instinctively want what is best for ourselves. Now, we sometimes don't know what that is. And we're bad at it sometimes. But I want what's best for me, even if I don't know what it is. That's what Yahweh wants us to have the attitude towards our neighbor, to want what is best for them. Hosea 11, 1 through 4, as we see the love of God, this same word here, the love that God has for his people. <coughs> when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burnt offering, or burning offerings to idols, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. He's demonstrating love as a parent. I think about my own children and the way that I want them to grow, and I want them to thrive, and I want them to flourish. I want them to have what they need. That is the love of God for us. And here in this context, his children Israel which has been transferred to his children in his kingdom today. Not just Israel, but all people who will come to him and be as his children. Now, there's one other word we're going to talk about in the Old Testament, which is uh, a word that I think we... Did we talk about this in the shepherding class? I feel like we did very briefly. Bob doesn't remember, so how can I be expected to remember? Hased, unfailing love, loyal love, devotion, kindness often based on a prior relationship, especially a covenant relationship. This is the more specialized word in the Old Testament. It is translated many different ways. The ESV and the RSV have steadfast love, loyal love, or covenant faithfulness, unfailing love, loving kindness. Whatever version you have is going to use probably one of these, uh, these different ways that we translate this word. Used of people in the context of familial love, sometimes people have hased for one another, and sometimes used of the king in relation to his subjects. The king has hased towards his subjects. He has this covenant, unfailing love. Micah 6, 8 is uses this word. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. And I picked this verse because it uses both. Ahab and hased. To love, love. We could translate this word. We could have this verse say, to do justice, to love, love, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, here ESV has chosen to translate it kindness because they want us to know that it's a different word, right? So they had to pick a different word than the first one. But to have that attachment to the general Ahab love, 
towards this kind of love. To be devoted to a particular kind of love. Unfailing loyalty and devotion. That's the more deeper kind of love that the Old Testament writers and God through the Old Testament was trying to get his people to have. It's not just something that God has. God has this special kind of love, obviously. But it's not just something that God should have. It's something his people should have. His people should like and have joy in this kind of love, demonstrating this kind of love for one another. Of course, God is the originator of this. Exodus 34, 5 through 8. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh blessed him, before, uh, passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is that word in faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And the response to this, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. What's the point of all this? From the beginning, God has revealed himself as a God of love. This is not a New Testament idea. God's unfailing, steadfast love. There's a psalm. That every other line, his steadfast love endures forever. It's like 50 times in the psalm. It says something about God, his steadfast love endures forever. It says another thing about God, his steadfast love endures forever. This is something that is intrinsic in who he is. And we've seen that in 1 John 4, right? God is love. It is inherent in him. This devotion and kindness and faithfulness of affection towards his creation. This is part of who he is, and therefore, if right, if we're going to be holy as God is holy, we understand it has to be who we are. People who love one another. People who demonstrate this affection and loving kindness and faithfulness towards one another. Who put the good of the other person ahead of ourselves all the time. Because that's what God does. Of course, in the New Testament, we find the greatest expression of this in Jesus, right? In 1 John 4, 7 through 12, what does he say? In this, the love of God was made manifest and that he sent his son. And so we come to the New Testament, the words that we find. Agape, of course, is the one that we're all familiar with. However, agape is an interesting word. In secular usage, right before Christ, of course, uh, Greek is a language that was around before the New Testament writers, right? It's just the language of the day. And before the New Testament was written, before the time of Christ, in the immediate years before that, agape was not a special word, just a sort of a regular word. It was used both as a synonym for eros, which is sexual love, and a synonym for phileo, which is brotherly or familial love. Agape was not a special word. It was sort of a neutral, generic word for love that was used in all these different contexts. And that's probably why the authors use it. It's neutrality. It's, it's broad application. And so it takes on special meaning that we ascribe. We talk about agape all the time. But it takes that meaning not from the Greek language itself. They didn't use it that way, primarily before the New Testament. It takes on that meaning from the way the New Testament writers use this word to describe the love of God. Agape is special because that's the word the writers chose to describe God's love. And it's special not because of the word itself, but because of what God has done and who God is. God and his actions, and his emotions, and his loyalty, and his affection. 
That is what makes love what it is. Of course, we know that John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, an expression of sacrificial love. 1 John 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This love that is not just extended to people who are good to him, but to all people. Because Jesus died not just for the people who are nice and kind. He died so that even the unholy and and wicked would have a chance to be the children of God. He extends that love and the offer of his love to all because he wants all to be his children. I love Gideon and Gwen, but do I extend that love to others? in my desire for them to thrive and to, to grow and to flourish. I want Gideon and Gwen to have what they need. Do I want other people to have what they need? I want Gideon and Gwen to grow in the love of God. Do I want other people to grow in the love of God? God demonstrates his love for us in that he shows us what it means to love, to do what is good for the other person. John 17, 25 through 26 O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that, uh, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. It's interesting what John says in First John, as opposed to here he's writing John, right? The Gospel of John, Big John and Little John. No one has ever seen God, and yet what is Jesus saying here? I have made you known. We haven't seen God, but we've seen the love of Jesus, not with our eyes, but we see it in the text. The life that Jesus lived, the love that he shows to us. Why does he do that? So that we may have that same love. It's impossible to separate the existence and action of Yahweh from the idea of love. Because it is the outpouring of his very soul is love. Love that is defined not by words, but how he has acted throughout history and what he has done for us. And so we see the different kinds of God's love. Love is that of a parent toward a child. as that of a benevolent ruler towards his people who wants his people to thrive and flourish, right? He wants his people not just to serve him, but he wants to be a blessing to his people, a benevolent ruler that wants everyone to prosper, like that of a close friend who wants what is best. Of course, we can think about David and Jonathan, who are examples of this in the human world, but this is the kind of love that God has for us, that he wants us to thrive and flourish. I think about my closest friends who I spend the most time with, and and that kind of affection that I have toward them is only possible because God has that in himself, and he has bestowed that upon me, like that of a creator for his creation. I don't know if you're a creative type, if you've ever spent time maybe creating art or maybe building things, any sort of creative endeavor where we put something of ourselves into the world and the love that we have for the things that we make and we want them to be known, we want them to uh, be special, we put our efforts into them. And I think about God as he is creating us, not only in the act of physical creation, right? Where David says, before I was in the Uh, you knew me in the womb, right? You knit me together in the secret places. But also as he's creating us now into the image of his son, as he's creating his church 
and creating us as a body of people who will serve others, who will love like he does. And how much pride and love he has for us. Which as it does in all these human cases, the love of God that causes a particular kind of action. Because it's not just a feeling, right? It is something we do. Self-sacrifice is the key component of Yahweh's love. Which is why John says, in this the love of God was made manifest and that he sent his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Self-sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-8, it kind of would be a horrible sermon about love if I didn't read these verses. Here we see this word agape, which again, the word itself is not what's the only thing that is defining this, but Paul is using this word and then expounding upon. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. We've talked a lot about in our study of evangelism, which if you haven't been on Sunday mornings, I would encourage you to start coming, that love has to motivate our efforts to make disciples in large part because of this. It doesn't matter how many people I convince to come to church if I'm not convincing them to love God because I love God. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. That would be part of the loving your neighbor as yourself, wouldn't it? It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Can this describe your love? I hope so. Almost certainly it doesn't describe your love all the time, just like it doesn't describe my love all the time. Sometimes I'm more patient than others, but I'm growing, hopefully I'm learning, I'm developing this kind of love. And so we return to the verses that we started with. And I'm going to skip down. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His son, only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved first before we loved Him. His love is self-sacrificing and it is freely given. And so what's the point? Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Even if you don't love me, should I still love you? Yeah, I should. Even if you treat me horribly. In our men's study, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount on Saturday mornings. We're going to come to the passage of loving your enemy. Well, that's not easy, but it's what God did. Even if it's difficult and it requires that I have to actually do something. Oh, can't I just feel good about it? No. I have to act, don't I? I have to let that love be an impetus for me to actually do something. That's where we fail, I think, most often, right? I feel good about you. I feel affection towards you. I feel warm, fuzzy feelings about you. But at the end of the day, am I going to act? Even if it requires sacrifice on my part, am I going to act in a way that serves your interests? And I hope that we will as we 
strive to be more like Jesus because ultimately we know that that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus the loving shepherd is the song we're going to sing in a minute. Jesus the loving shepherd, loving why? Because he sacrificed for the sheep, for you and me. What do I have to give up to love you? I don't know what it is, but hopefully I'm willing to do that, whatever it is. Because Jesus was willing to do that for me, amen? If you're here today, I want you to know Jesus loves you. And he showed that he loves you and that he came and died. Even though you may not love him yet, he came and died for you. And even if you were the only one that would ever love him, he still did it for you. He wants to be your loving shepherd. Come, always stand and sing.